Miamians and listeners from around the world, welcome to another episode of Miami Global Net. Today's guest, we have Seth Cassell, president and partner at Everymundo, a fair marketing platform, fair meaning airline tickets. They are a global leader in airline performance marketing technology. Everymundo drives direct channel growth with high performance solutions. Seth will tell us how it all started and how they evolved into what they are today. I had a very interesting conversation with Seth where he was telling me about how he undisrupts industries with their technology. We also talk about what the future holds for them as they continue to grow and they are growing fast. So remember to subscribe to the podcast, sign up to a newsletter, information in the show notes. Welcome to Miami Global Net Podcast, where we showcase the people and organizations that support Miami's international landscape. Learn from local business owners, startups, diplomats, and community leaders. Get to know the tools and services that are out there that help you invest and grow in South Florida. Miami is a true global city where one can live and do business with a global reach. Seth, welcome on the show. Thank you for joining us. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. So we're here to talk about Every Mundo, which is your, your company, correct? That's right. It's me and my partner, Anton Diego. It's our company together. Nice. Before we do that, let's get to know you a little bit. Where, where are you originally from? So I am originally from Miami. I am born and bred here. My, my great-grandparents actually moved here in 1908. I'm like old Miami, if that's a thing. My family and I like to joke that we're the family that's been in Miami the longest that doesn't have anything named after us. So I don't know what we did wrong, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've been here a long time. My, my grandfather was born here. My father was born here. So it's on my father's side. Born in Kendall, grew up in Pinecrest. Now I live on Miami Beach. So do you know how many buildings were on the Miami skyline in 1908? I don't know exactly, but I have seen some pictures um, and it's unbelievable uh, how far it's come since. No question. Um, it's crazy. Do no? you know how many or no? No, no, no. <laughs> it wasn't like a pop well, quiz. I have the. <laughs> so, so here's what I do know. My, so my great grandfather founded a department store down here, which was like right at like basically like Flagler in North Miami or Miami Avenue, like right in the middle of what became downtown. And their first house was where the Miami Herald building was. So like they lived on basically like 15th and the water, like, like Bayshore. That was residential back then. So oh, wow. Yeah, very, very different time, obviously. That was, yeah, because when I came here, that was already commercial. I remember the building was by the oh, water. Yeah, this is, yeah, it was 110 years ago or so. So it's, yeah, totally different world. What other things do you remember, remember from 1908? Me? No, I mean, I've seen home videos of them, uh, you know, after a hurricane on the beach in like 1935. I know they used to have... My great grandmother was a concert pianist and composer. And so she had a lot of friends in the arts and that's who they became down here. So I think into like the forties, fifties, sixties, as they were living down here, they would have like artist friends, um, musicians, actors, singers, things like that would come down and they were everyone's friend in Miami uh, in those circles. And so they would come and they, my, I think to the day she died in 1980, my great grandmother had like a small concert hall in her house, you know, 20 people or something like that could sit and listen while someone played piano and sang and performed. And so um, my father's told me a lot of stories about being a kid there 
um, while actual concerts are going on in their living room with, with like the stars of the day, whatever that means. Awesome. And super cool. you born and raised here in Miami. Did you also do your studies here? I went to Ransom for high school and then I went away to college. I went to Harvard for undergrad um, where I majored in math. And then I went over to England, to London for a couple of years, and I worked in finance and investment banking for two years at Citigroup. And then I came back to do my MBA at Harvard again. And that was, I guess, so the dates I went to college in 98, graduated in 02, moved back to Boston again in 04, graduated business school in 06. And then I moved to New York, where I worked for Sony Music, doing talent scouting for uh, first Columbia Records and then for Epic Records. So I have this like basically whole former life in the record business that has absolutely nothing to do with what I do today. Although I think some of the soft skills that I learned doing that job do actually translate into a lot of what we do today. That was my passion. I, I knew going into business school, I wanted to be in music. And once I got in music, I, I definitely enjoyed it. But I think by the end, I realized it wasn't necessarily the career for me. And my wife, uh, who's a federal prosecutor, she was offered a clerkship with a judge here in Miami, where we're both from. This is like, two, I guess, end of 2008. And she said, you know, this is a good job for me to take. And I said, all right, we're moving to Miami. And so quit the job, moved down to Miami, still was managing a musician on the side. I did that for a few years after I, I moved back down. Um, and I'm still in touch with him. Like it kind of, he's, he's like my lifeline to the industry, I guess. And then I started... Uh, with a buddy from business school, um, we had partnered and we were consulting for startups down here and for investors and in startups. So we were just picking up projects, writing business plans, vetting investment opportunities, in some cases, helping operationally get a startup off the ground, uh, working for a family office, helping them basically evaluate their venture capital choices. And yeah, we were just, it was kind of the wild west of South Florida startup and um, this is, you know, 2009. And it was, I did that for about a year down here. And at the end of that year, met Anton, my partner now. And in early 2010, joined him at Every Mundo, it was just the two of us, and started building that with him. Now, did, did you meet your, was your wife prosecuting you? Is that, was it, or how did you guys Fortunately meet? not. Um, well, I mean, every day, yes, um, but not in a formal sense. <laughs> um, <laughs> And so my wife and I went to high school together, oh, nice. but we're not really friends. I mean, we were acquaintances. It was a small school, but we weren't very close. We both went to college together, became very close friends, definitely made a move on her my freshman year, and she definitely rejected me. And so our relationship became purely a platonic one. And then when I was living in England after college and she was living in New York, our relationship evolved into a romantic one. And then when I finally came back to the States, we just, you know, became serious and, you know, the rest is history and now we're married. So yeah, so it's, it's one of these things where at first glance, everyone assumes we're like high school sweethearts or something like that, but it took many years and a couple of different continents for us to figure it out. Beautiful. Beautiful. So every Mundo, how yeah. did it come? First, what is it? And how did it come to be? So what it is now is fair marketing technology, primarily for airlines. I say primarily because we've spread our wings a little bit, but what we do is we provide technology 
so that airlines can show their actual fares in a multitude of locations across their website and in their digital media. So the whole idea is that if you're an airline um, and you wanna compete with the Expedias and Kayaks of the world to get customers directly to your website, you need the ability to put the prices of those flights in front of customers in a, as many places as possible. And that's how you entice them into booking with you and how you increase the likelihood that they make the purchase because by the time they're in the booking purchase process, they now have more information. And so that's that's definitely not where we started, but that's that's who we are today. And, and where we're headed is expansion of that, more products, more travel industries. We work with vacation packages, starting to work with hotels. We work with the bus company. So, you know, just more and more of that offer marketing, let's say, uh, dynamic offer marketing. But where we started, I think was very different. So my partner, Anton, was a one-man digital marketing shop called Everymundo. He was focused on primarily SEO and SEM, so Google Ads and Google Organic Results, but with a particular focus on multilingual marketing. Anton is born in Russia, raised in Cuba. English is his third language. And so uh, as a result, he always had an appreciation for the value of reaching a global audience and how there's opportunity to get traffic, you know, to a website or, you know, to do whatever you're trying to do online. Uh, if you have the ability to reach more audiences in more places in more languages. And so when I joined him, um, it was at a time when he was starting to reach capacity as one person and wanted a partner to help take the business forward and maybe uh, evolve it to be more than just a digital marketing agency. And it was good timing for me because I, um, Originally, my, my perception of entrepreneurship coming through business school and my first entrepreneurial forays and in my consulting work was, was very, I'd say, uh, late 90s Silicon Valley model, right? You have an idea. Um, you have to convince yourself that that idea is a billion dollar business uh, in a matter of a few years. You then attempt to take that passion and convince an investor that that's true, that your business is a huge, massively scalable opportunity. And you raise money, try to get the best deal you can from the best investors you can. And 90 something percent of the time it fails, right? And then you do it again, having learned from that experience. And hopefully this time you have a better idea and you get a better deal from even better investors and kind of, you know, rinse, repeat, or at some point you get off that train and you become a venture capitalist or, you know, private equity investor, and you're on the other side of the table. And so, you know, I mean, I'm a little, being a little facetious, but that, that is to some degree the way it was presented to me coming through school and right afterward. But then I meet Anton, who the way he describes is more just an immigrant mentality. You know, he had no formal education or experience in, in entrepreneurship in that regard. And so for him, it was simply you have an idea, you believe that it is a, it could be a business, you build it with your own two hands, you put a dollar in, if $2 come out, you're onto something, right? As simple as that. And um, when, I, when I met with him and I saw what he was doing, the way he was approaching it, I, I really took to it. I thought it was time for me to, to change my, my mindset on these things. And what I realized in hindsight is it was basically pursuing viability over scalability. And so rather than worrying on day one, how scalable a business is and just skipping past the whole fact that you have to get it up and running off the ground 
and try to make it as successful as possible along the way. This was simply about worrying about the next day and then the day after that and then the day after that and trying to just put one foot in front of the other and grow it, you know, a little bit at a time. And then along the way, what we've learned and, you know, what we continue to do is if you, if you figure out a way to do that while preserving agility yet remaining focused, you can pursue scalability at, at a more, um, I think, reasonable pace. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to blow through a ton of capital to figure out what your scalable business can be. You can build your company and earn your way to a point at which you can assess like what moves you need to make to be more ambitious and, and be a more scalable company. And so that was our journey. We started off as you know, then a two-man digital marketing business. He taught me how to do the work. I just brought in my business acumen to help start building things. And about a year into our partnership, a couple important things happened that really uh, shaped the company we've become today. So number one was that a friend of ours invited us into a large consulting project uh, for an airline in the Middle East. And we, you know, we had, I guess, a, enough exposure to travel to to you know, be dangerous, but not a ton. But we were fortunate that there was so much going on at this airline. And one of the issues they had was a need to improve their SEM and their SEO, the, the two things that we knew well. And as a Middle Eastern airline, they were servicing markets speaking 17 languages. Um, so multilingual is certainly valuable. And we got in there. So this is, I guess, the spring of 2011. We all of a sudden are you know going from t-shirt and shorts on the couch to suit and tie uh, in a very, very corporate office in, you know, in, in the Gulf. And our consulting went well. And then a couple of critical things, some, some luck and some skill, I think, happened. Number one, we, uh, the success we had off that first project led to us being engaged for, I think, around three years when all was said and done with ongoing projects. We just kind of became part of their digital brain trust. And they kept bringing us back to help them with more and more things. That airline went on to make investments in half a dozen struggling airlines around the world. And as part of that investment, they were taking what they deemed as their partners and their you know, uh, uh, providers of best practice and putting them in front of these other airlines and really you know, gently encouraging those airlines to work with us among others. And so we had very warm introductions and all of a sudden, what started off as just you know a couple of trips to the Middle East turned into a few airlines in Europe, Australia, South Asia, etc. Over the subsequent three four years, we're building incredible domain knowledge. Right? I mean, normally you don't get to to do that kind of work with that many providers in the space. And then alongside that, we started developing software. So the the business, the consulting work, gave us the revenue to start hiring. And our third and fourth hires were software engineers. And we knew from day one, we weren't going to be a digital marketing agency forever. That was never an intention. But what we first thought we would be was a portfolio of websites that, you know, we, we had ways and methods and knowledge that allowed us to bring traffic to certain, you know, websites offering certain capabilities. And we thought we would just monetize web traffic through our traffic acquisition skills, basically. But before we could get you know, we got like two steps into that marathon and we were, we had built this tool we called Traffix, TRFX, that allowed you to launch millions and millions of web pages on a given topic based on structured data. 
right? So you can have like a list of bus routes or a list of auto parts or a list of medical facilities, whatever you wanted. And we built a system that allowed you to very simply create a page with the pertinent information for each of those items. And it was SEO optimized, right? It was built for the search engine to recognize these results and to rank them. And so we showed this to our friends at the airline and they said, well, couldn't you just take that, brand it with our brand, put our flights as the objects, page for every flight, every city, you know, origin, destination pair, connect it to our website and then send all the traffic into our booking engine. We said, yeah, I guess we can. And so with no more intention than that, we were in the enterprise software business and we did our first deal for that, which then, you know, traffics became air traffics. We did that in 2013. And then over the course of the next three years, by 2016, um, based on some really good advice from a mentor that was uh, introduced us through Endeavor, we're an Endeavor company here in Miami. We got, again, great advice to, to really focus. And, and he looked at our business and said, you guys are onto something. You've now signed a handful of software licenses with airlines. That, there's very few companies in the world that have the privilege of doing that. That's your business. So focus on software, focus on the airlines, get rid of the other industries that's distracting you. Stop doing the services. That's not the business you should be in and just get focused on this. And so it took us three years to really make that transition because keep in mind, we had no outside capital. And also it just, I guess, psychologically, it's it's a scary thing to fire customers, right? When you run a small lean business that you're trying to grow entirely on the back of its own revenue. And so over time we figured it out. And by 2016, we started to look more like the company we look like today, where we were purely a software provider to airlines. And then, you know, the last five years we've been on this journey and, you know, today we're working with nearly 70 airlines around the world, um, you know, as large as the largest airlines in the United States, as small as tiny little, little regional airlines that fly, you know, pro- propeller planes that seat 10 people at a time and really everything in between. We've got nearly 130 people across the world, three main, I'd say clusters, calling them offices is, is you know, not representative of how the world works today, but, you know, people on you know, we have customers on six continents and people on, I guess, five continents, four continents. Yeah. And we're just, you know, continuing to do what we do and, and just kind of we're, we're excited to be within the line of sight of the other side of the pandemic. So that's our history. <laughs> All right. So what were, what were some of the problems that you encountered that airlines were having and that you're solving? Sure. So as we, as we got deeper and deeper into the airlines through the consulting work, we started to appreciate that certain capabilities that were critical to online travel agencies, the Expedia's and Kayaks of the world, were incredibly difficult for airlines to replicate on their own website. And that was causing a competitive disadvantage when they were trying to get customers to the site, particularly around showing these prices. And the issues were that airlines are built on legacy technology. A lot of the providers technology was not envisioning the world we live in today of, you know, ubiquitous access to information and mobile devices and things, you know, and things like that and self-service e-commerce. And it just wasn't what that technology was really originally built to support. And so 
technically speaking, it's very difficult to use that technology to do the kinds of things that the airline would want to do. And then commercially uh, or economically, the way that the airline's relationships are with those vendors don't necessarily allow them to execute these kinds of things. And then on top of that, airlines need to fly large metal tubes safely through the sky. And that consumes a lot of their attention and a lot of their capital. And it means that they need partners to do more complicated, sophisticated things online sometimes. Um, you know, Even when they build it themselves, they find very quickly that anything you build yourself, you own. And if you own it, you got to keep maintaining it and updating it. We identified all these, these issues, these inherent realities of an airline. And again, we, we slipped and fell on the fact that this technology that we had built over here happens to solve airlines problems over there if, if we decided that that was the direction we wanted to take it. And so we did. It actually goes back to that same mentor who gave us that advice to focus on airlines. The way he described it is sometimes you need to go narrow to go deep. And once you go deep, you can go wide. I like to call it fracking, right? You have to frack an industry basically where you have to get real deep to find the real value. The value at the surface is one thing, but the real value is when you truly understand the problems and challenges that big global industries have. And you can then come up with this, you know, very niche, you know, kind of uh, idiosyncratic software like what we have that solves these very particular problems. But those problems exist for all of the airlines, essentially. So it becomes a viable business. What does the future look like for you guys? The future, we're excited. I mean, it's, it's bright for us. Um, you know, uh, COVID, COVID taught us a lot. Um, it was an unbelievable experience for us. I mean, I, I, well, I say in the past tense, we're still going through COVID if I'm, if I'm being real. And, um, you know, many of the airlines are still struggling. The industry is still not out of the woods in any sense of the word, but you know, what it, it taught us to focus, um, it taught us to be more deliberate in what we do with our technology and how we organize our resources internally and focus the whole company on, on the key missions. And so coming out of COVID, there, there's been some real benefit for us. So number one is that we didn't know if we were mission critical software for airlines necessarily coming in because this, you know, it, despite the fact that we had a lot of customers and there was a lot of you know, uh, opportunity in front of us, nothing had ever tested whether we were mission critical, right? You don't know that until your customer is really forced to choose. And in COVID they were, and they, they chose to stick with us. We managed to only uh, lose one customer during COVID and we've signed actually 18 new ones in the last uh, year and a quarter since, since COVID started last March. That gave us confidence to say we are the market leader in fair marketing technology for airlines. I mean, we are the number one player and now that is a mission that we you know, take very seriously and we're advancing on that. So part of our future is expanding that. The way we plan to expand that is by building a wider ecosystem of uh, product development partners and service partners so that our ability to do more for these airlines that we work with and, and the new ones that are in our future, we're not limited in the way that we can service them and help them and provide technology to them by only our internal resources. We now have a, net, a growing network of partners who can contribute resources to what we're doing and do it in a way that, that makes them a partner of ours and a partner to the airline. And so that's our broader plan in the airline space, just continuing to, to de deliver more products to the airlines, but still primarily focused on performance marketing, fair marketing, 
uh, what we know how to do, not getting too far out of that lane at this point. But then we're also starting to expand beyond airlines. And so we've broadened our mission as a company this year, formally speaking, to, to go from fair marketing to travel offer marketing. So uh, even though, as I mentioned, we have some vacation packages, customers, um, the vacation package arm of airlines, we have a, a bus company customer, we're now more, more um, assertively entering the hospitality market, the vacation package market, the tourism board and DMO market in order to provide travel offer marketing technology to those players. And so that, that becomes an open-ended opportunity for us, frankly, right? Um, we think that could double, triple, quadruple what we're doing just with the airlines. And, you know, long, long-term, if, if you're asking me like, you know, what could we be in 10 years? Um, I think that that could expand to dynamic offer marketing, right? Our technology has applications beyond travel even um, into other industries worldwide that have the same kind of problems where they're dealing with legacy technology, their prices are changing all the time, which makes it very difficult to communicate prices in real time to customers. There's aggregators in their industry who are coming in the middle and putting themselves in between their customers and them, the brands, and are sucking the value out of the value chain. Uh, the way we like to describe what we do in a word is undisrupt. Uh, we believe that travel agencies, you know, online travel agencies have come in and disrupted the travel industries and have put themselves in the value chain. We want to undisrupt those industries, give the value back to the brands as it was before those entrants captured such a big piece. And so undisrupting has been our mantra. Um, it, it's, our, it's our purpose as a company to uh, help large enterprises like that innovate um, and using our technology and our knowledge to do so. And so we see undisrupting as basically enabling companies that have struggled to innovate in the past to be able to innovate faster with us as their partner. And so that's, that's our grand vision for what we could be as the future. All right, Seth, thank you for, for your answers. It's been great learning um, about what you do. Before we let you go, one more question. What is your favorite part about Miami? My favorite part about Miami, and this, this takes me back to before COVID, I used to travel a lot. I love coming back here. Uh, I love that. I love Miami as home. I know many people think of Miami as a destination or a place for vacation or, I don't know, maybe a chapter of their lives. But for me, I love a city that has, I would argue, the most authentic diversity of maybe any city in the world. I love a city that is growing at a pace where if you go away for five years and come back, you can't even recognize it, right? There's very few cities, I think, that have that to them. I love that Miami is hot in every sense of the word, right? Um, I love that the people here exude confidence above all else um, and just an energy and a love for life. And I love that we have flaws as a city, but, you know, we own them. Um, and I, every time I think I've said this before, every time I get, I get off a plane and especially like a long flight, right? Like an overseas flight and you've been breathing that, that kind of dry, stale air on an airplane for a while and you get off the plane and you come off the gate and it's like, you know, 88 degrees and 88% humidity. And that's just like, 
hits you in the face and you breathe that in, it's the best. It feels like home. Um, and then, you know, you step right into a multilingual airport terminal and that feels like home. And then, you know, you deal with the lunatics driving down 836 coming from the airport and that feels like home. And I don't know, everything about this place. Yeah, I, you know, look, there's a lot of work to do here and I hope in life I get to be a contributor to that, to making Miami a better place. But um, I, I, I do love it how it is too. I think it's a great city um, and I, I wouldn't want to live anywhere else. Well, thank you very much. That has been, it's been a pleasure to, to have you on the show and to learn about every mundo. Thank you so much for having me, Alex. I appreciate it.